We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike here with Sam. Sam, how's it going? Um, I've been better, but you know what? <laughs> no matter how bad it gets, we're still going to be here. So uh, I'm all right, given the circumstances. How are you? There, there were times, I think, in my sports watching life where how the Suns played in particular impacted my mood. <laughs> And uh, they were so bad for so long that I did, I feel like I've successfully found a way to like divorce my emotions from at the very least regular season games. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not to say that, that a, uh, that like a game seven collapse like they had did not impact how I felt for like a week um, when I thought about it. But like, I don't feel like it doesn't affect me in a way that I think I mean some Suns fans I do say it that that a loss a dramatic loss will impact their mood for the whole week or something like that but I have found a way to successfully um, compartmentalize my emotions when it comes to my regular life and the way the Suns are playing so at least I have that going for me I find that humor helps personally um also just getting older i think helps yeah <laughs> uh, a little bit like you know i don't think about it exactly the same way as i used to in say high school or college but but yeah just just make jokes i don't know no matter how bad it gets like find the humor in the situation somehow and yeah th- that'll get you through it suns fans are i mean it's not happening right now but suns fans are the funniest when the team is bad for sure <laughs> you know, like I right any, now, I think any fan base is. Yeah, honest, you're though. probably right. Right, you're probably right. It's harder to be, it's harder to find the humor in in like a a, a ten game win streak <laughs> than like a one and nine in the last ten, which is what the Suns are right now. But I think it's an interesting time for us to sort of. I want to talk about just how they've been playing lately. Obviously, that's what we do every week. Um, but I do think it's in more interesting time to take stock in in what's happening in general. 
and try to get as high up as possible and examine what they're looking at because I think there's a lot of interesting choices that are about to happen. We talked about it um, last week on our podcast episode with our New Year's resolutions, but like January 15th is soon, which is a date where DeAndre and can be traded. And then the next major date that impacts the Suns is the trade deadline. And that means that a lot of the content leading between now and then, which I think is February 9th, will be related to trades. And the Suns, I think they've essentially promised one player that he's going to be traded. And I think they can have a lot of interesting discussions about what can happen with the rest of the players. But before we get to trades in particular, or what the Suns are looking at, let's talk about how they've been playing. The It's hard to really analyze what's been happening over this really difficult stretch for the Suns because it's so impacted by injuries, obviously. So I think one way to look at it is to try to isolate the players that are considered like core players for the Suns that have been in the lineup and talk about how have they've been playing. Of course, we can talk about other guys within that. Um, but the three guys that stood out to me that I think we should probably talk about is uh, DeAndre and Mikael Bridges and Chris Paul. Now, <laughs> I should say this. Chris Paul's out. Mikael Bridges still playing. Can't get him off the floor. DeAndre and questionable for the next game for the record. So even of those three core guys who have been playing pretty regularly, Chris Paul missed one game recently and maybe out for the near future. And DeAndre enrolled his ankle in the last game might be out in a few games, but I think Aiden, it's a good I time to, to talk about them. Aiden suggested in a post game interview that it felt like a day to day thing. We don't know at this point. We're waiting on more information about that. In a post game yeah. interview after the last time he rolled his ankle, he said, I'll play the next game. And then he didn't. So I don't know how reliable those post game yeah, interviews are anyway. And like, as long as we're just talking about what guys are saying to reporters, Mikhail Bridges was also interviewed this week and he said he's yeah. not hurt. And I don't know. I don't believe him. <laughs> so <laughs> well, not only, not only can you not believe him, other people have said opposite. I think uh, both James Jones and Monty Williams have talked about him playing through injuries. Um, Dwayne Rankin wrote an article specifically about that, breaking it down. We'll talk about Mikhail. Let's actually talk about Mikhail Bridges first. I think he's been taking some heat from Suns fans recently. I mean, the reality of Mikhail Bridges, and you have some of the stats up now, he's just been bad lately ever since he hurt his knee for his normal standards, which is, I think, where we should start in talking about how he's been playing, right? Yeah, um, so I've got the last 10-game stats here overall. Mikhail Bridges, of course, consider the context that this should be a time uh, point in the season at which he should be stepping up the most, right? Of course, he's averaging about 15 and a half points per game overall this season. Over the last 10 games, 12.6 points, 3.2 rebounds, 3.7 assists on 39% from the field, 36% from three, and 90%, that one's good, uh, from the free throw line. So that's what we're dealing with. Mikhail Bridges, the the recent sort of balance sheet of what he's been doing over the past 10 games. Um, initial reactions from you, I have a feeling we're in about the same well, place. But well, To be honest, that's actually some of those shooting splits are an improvement from what they were <laughs> ten, uh, you know, five or so games ago uh, when I looked at since his knee injury. So I think he's starting probably to improve. I think you saw some of it look a little better in a recent game, but it seems to be he's up and down from game to game. He'll have a good game. He'll have a bad game. And he's, I do think there is some level of him being asked to do things that he's just not really there to do. Drive the ball a lot, try to be more of a playmaker, pass more, 
draw more fouls because if he's not doing it, literally no one on the Suns is doing it unless a Kogi gets minutes uh, for the Suns. So, you know, there's some level of that, too. <laughs> Which he's getting fewer minutes, too, recently, by yeah. the way, because it's right. nice that a Kogi drives the ball recklessly, but the rest of his game is hardly, offensively speaking, hardly makes up for it. I, he he airballs more threes than any player I've ever seen. I feel like it's when he misses, it's such an awful miss that it's loud. It's as loud as a miss can be. Uh, but for Mikael Bridges, I think it's clear. I think he's just not healthy, and, and he's playing through it. And I think there's been some debate on on whether or not he should sit you know or or in some respects i think even a question of whether or not what he's doing is helping or hurting the suns and i think i guess that's where we could have a discussion on that um i have some thoughts but what do you think i don't necessarily think the play from him right now is hurting the suns i think that's a bit dramatic but um Look, I've said, I guess we haven't talked about this on the main feed. I've definitely said on the last Patreon podcast episode that with regards to the streak, specifically the streak that Mikhail Bridges has never missed a game in the NBA, never missed a game in college. He, he hasn't missed a game going back to middle school or whatever it is. Um, it's referenced every game now. It's referenced by every broadcast crew, uh, home, away, or national. And I'm tired of hearing about the streak. Well, it's only coming <laughs> up because he's not playing well, right? I th- I honestly think... <laughs> Yes, and I understand that there's a certain sentimental value for Mikhail Bridges attached to said streak because it, in a a sort of grand way, represents his commitment, his determination, and his discipline uh, to the sport. But that being said, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, if it's affecting your play this much, uh, I I have no qualms about resting him. Um, I don't think he needs, like, a long-term rest. And uh, again, just to the second half of that question, I don't think he's... I don't think he's dramatically hurting the team with his play right now. I think we're talking about, like, rest him on the second night of a back-to-back. It doesn't have to be that, again, dramatic uh, in terms of how to fix this issue. I think there are aspects recently of Mikhail Bridges' game, even playing through potential injury, that are encouraging. For instance, he had a career-high 10 free throws the other night against I forget which team it was. Um but, you know, that's something Mikhail Bridges has never done before, you know. So, mm-hmm. l- like, there are little bright spots here and there. But uh, but overall, he's he's looking for his spots on offense. But what he can do on the court is still fairly limited. And it's just not what you, uh, not what you would expect out of a standard number one or number two. That's just not who he is. I think, I think the streak is really cool. And I'll just preface everything just by saying that. Because I think that it shows a player that's willing to fight through things that aren't holding him back necessarily in most cases. And I also think that uh, it shows that he just rarely gets injured. And this season is sort of the first time that we're seeing him play through something that's impacting his play pretty dramatically. Uh, But I think the concept or the idea that he's somehow hurting the team is kind of ridiculous because Mikael Bridges right now is not taking minutes away from Cameron Johnson or Jay Crowder. He's taking minutes away from Ish Wainwright, I guess. Josh Kogi. Josh Kogi. And he's still better than those players, like, and pretty significantly, even in his current state. You know, Ish Wainwright, for all, we love Ish Wainwright on this podcast, but he's a turnover machine. He's not built to start for any team. Uh, He'll foul way too much. He can't really rebound, can't drive, can't dribble. You know, and and Mikael Bridges, for as much as he's been struggling, he does all of those things better than Ish Wainwright. And Josh Okogie. So 
You basically the, just said we love Ishwain, right? But he sucks for like six or seven reasons that you listed in a row. There's a reason he's a two-way. You know, there's I actually a have a good two-way. I have a good Ishwain Wright stat that we'll get to eventually in this podcast. So don't worry, it's coming. And you if know, you're an Ish stan. I think the thing about Mikael Bridges, and this is a conversation I've had a few times. We talked about it on the playback. All of the concepts that he would, if he rested, he would be better. It's it's all based on spe- speculation. We really have no idea if that would even help him. It's possible that if he plays through it, he's fine. Or if he sits, he's fine. It doesn't really impact it in any way. Um, the thing about Mikel Bridges is, is all, what I'll say is there's no there's no point of in watching him play where I think, oh, Mikel Bridges is playing badly because he's not giving a full effort. He is. He's trying to play really well. He's just he's clearly not really himself. I think there are times right now, specifically with DeAndre and if we're talking about other guys as well, where I don't think it's entirely based on injuries or anything like that. Obviously, he has a rolled ankle now. But like defensively for DeAndre, and he loses focus more this season, I think, than any season that we have seen from him since his rookie year. And so when it comes to like Mikhail Bridges, I think, you know, whatever. He'll keep playing through it. He'll keep fighting through it because that's who he is. We, we don't have to question whether or not he's going to do that. He definitely is. And uh, and just hope he gets better at this point. If it's something that impacts him this entire season, I, I really don't know if I don't re- I don't really know what's going to happen. Honestly, if I had to just stop right now and just look at these two guys, specifically Mikel Bridges and DeAndre, and they're playing not very well right now. If they continue to play like they are when Devin Booker gets back, they're still going to lose games. They're not going to be nearly as good as even they were to start this season. Uh, because it's it's just not looking good for either of those guys right now. And just to recap something I mentioned on Twitter, I was sort of trying to calculate where the Suns could be when Devin Booker gets back. And based on their current win percentage, the Suns could be up to seven games below 500, 21 and 28. I'm by curious. the time Devin Booker gets back, assuming he gets back when he's going to be reevaluated. So that's what eight nine games from now. Yeah, it's yeah exactly. You looked at all those teams. Nine games from now, by the way. That would um, be that would be one more win than we have today. Yeah. Which team did did you just like randomly assign us a win, or did you give us? No, no, no. I just took the total win percentage of the games where Devin Booker is oh, out, just, and I times it by it... the amount of games <laughs> that they're okay, out. Okay. Yeah. You just mm-hmm. put it on the pace. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, right now, what's our record now without Booker? Is it two and twenty and twenty one? Or no, without Devin Booker, I think it's two and. 11 right now yeah. or 2 and 10 with and if like, you include I think it's 2 and 10 but if you include the Denver game where he played 4 minutes then it's 2 and 12. Yeah, and that's what like a 10 win pace, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah and yeah. then you look at the schedule and the, it's just tough team after tough team. The reason I was asking is cuz I was wondering if you like went through it opponent by no. opponent and maybe gave us a win. Orlando would, is that who maybe Orlando would be the one that you have to pick. There are a couple of bad teams that we're playing this month, but but yeah, for the most part, it's it's not much. I think we have a game against Charlotte like two weeks from now after we play six contenders in a row. So, you know, <laughs> they're coming yeah. eventually, but it'll take a while. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, with Mikael Bridges, I think it all boils down to if he's healthy, he's probably going to be back to what he is. Now, uh, for a lot of people, I think they're sort of being confronted by the weight of their own expectations of these players. You know, if if you thought Mikael Bridges could be a star if given the right workload, then you're probably disappointed with how he's been playing lately. If you kind of understand who Mikael Bridges is, which is a really high level role player that can be really efficient when surrounded by great players, 
then I think if he's healthy, he'll be right back to that as soon as Devin Booker or whoever else is back for this Suns team, Cameron Payne, Chris Paul, all of them, you know, Cameron Johnson, whoever it is. Uh, I think he'll get right back to that. I have no reason to to fear unless there's some sort of permanent injury here that we're unaware of. I have no reason to fear that he can't snap back to that when he's fully healthy. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And again, just emphasizing with Mikhail Bridges that it's an unreasonable expectation for him to wear every hat on the roster at once. You know, like think about how much the team continues to be hurting from the loss of Cam Johnson in terms of their shooting presence, in terms of their day-to-day gravity. And here you have Mikhail Bridges. Obviously, we know what his defensive role is. He's He's got maybe the toughest defensive role. Maybe Aiton is up there too. Um, but in addition to that, when Cam Johnson is off the floor and he's starting next to Torrey Craig or Dario Saric, or guys who are just not shooters and are ignored by the defense, uh, he, he can't be expected to do everything at once. He can't be expected to be a volume shooter, take seven or eight threes per game, and also be the main presence uh, on the roster when it comes to rim gravity, um, and also be the only mid-range threat. You know, like it's just, he can't be everything, and that's fine. Um, I think he can play a little bit better than this as we close up this stretch. Do you think that, and we'll cover this with Aiden too, because I think these are the two important guys to talk about. Do you think this stretch is helping them at all? <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Because the there's this of- belief... Let me just clarify. There's this mm. belief that if DeAndre was drafted to a worse team, he would have somehow been developed better because he would have been given more freedom he to He would have gotten mistakes. the ball. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's uh, that's a really tough philosophical question because it could just as easily go the other way and uh, the guys kind of develop bad habits along the way. I mean, imagine three or four straight years of losing seasons for DeAndre Ayton where he just never learns to do all the little things that contribute to winning basketball um, yeah. and, and, and sort of develops a mindset uh of of his Al own Jefferson. expectations <laughs> yeah i mean you know yeah. i wasn't going to go for any specific player comparisons <laughs> but sure something yeah. maybe something resembling that uh i don't necessarily think this stretch is helping them other than that it's yeah i mean it's the most adversity they've ever faced and uh maybe it's teaching them some mental lessons but in yeah, terms maybe. of their in terms of their game to game development i don't i don't really know i don't, <laughs> I don't think I don't it think is yeah, you know <laughs> i don't think it is like, I, I brought something up to you in doing the last game in playback with DeAndre Ayton in particular. There was this stretch of DeAndre in this season when, you know, de- at least Devin Booker was healthy. Not everyone was healthy, I think even... Well, actually, Chris Paul was healthy during the stretch as well. Where we were bringing up the growth of DeAndre Ayton in the pick and roll. And there was a stretch where it was like he was dunking a lot. You know, we were like, oh, wow, he's dunking now. He's actually attacking the rim with force. And... You take away the spacing of Cam Johnson. You take away the passing of Chris Paul. You take away the gravity of Devin Booker. And now with DeAndre, and he's catching the ball further away from the basket. He's shooting mid-range shots. He's making them occasionally. And there is none of that force and that ferocity that comes with when there's proper spacing on the floor. And when the Suns are back, those habits that he was developing... Those are the habits that the Suns needed for them to be good with DeAndre Ayton. And I think, you know, him catching the ball further away from the basket, his passing is getting a little better. I think that's something that could improve in this stretch, although there's still a lot of turnovers when he touches the ball, especially on doubles. Um, But there's just those opportunities that are kind of like really specific to the build of the team that we needed guys like him to improve at that are sort of taken out of it. And now, just as you talked about, the habits that are created during this time 
are not really the best options for the Suns when they need to adapt. And they're not even the best options for the Suns right now, really, because they just continue to lose and lose and lose. Not to say that there's not, you know, that there's a lot of opportunities to win here, but you would think that if at least Mikel Bridges and DeAndre in, were playing, that they could scrape together some more wins out of what 14 games than just two right (laughs) (laughs) ideally ideally yes but also point guards are so important yeah um at the nba level i think that's a lesson that the 2018-19 season taught us is that even if you have a devin booker who was already a bona fide scorer at that point there were many issues with that team you know many many defensive issues many spacing issues um but point guard matters you know that season showed us that and uh this season I think we've had some really inconsistent play out of the point guard spot recently. And, uh, you know, even starting a guy like Landry Shamet last night probably doesn't help in terms of what other surrounding players are able to do night to night. Um, I do think we're going to have a point guard discussion in a second. Before that, I read off the Mikhail Bridges stats, so I just feel compelled to um, read off the eight yeah. stats as well over his last 10 games, just so that they're out there. 18.4 points. 10.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists to 2.4 turnovers. You mentioned that mm-hmm. um, a second ago. For example, he had a really, what was it, four or five, maybe even six assists last night. I don't have the box score in front of me. Um, yeah. But he had a high assist game. But overall, he's committing more turnovers than he's getting assists. And and as, just as you mentioned, with those doubles or especially at pivotal points in the game, uh, when the Suns need a bucket and the defense is anticipating that the ball is going to touch DeAndre Ayton's hands. They're sending doubles at him, and he's struggling to adapt. Um, On also, the catcher, as soon as he dribbles, t- teams are throwing up different looks at him, too. Right. Uh, also, only half a block per game over the past 10 games. You know, we've often talked about how maybe blocks per game is an overrated stat. DeAndre Ayton has never excelled at this stat in the sense that he's never been a two-plus block per game rim protector. However, half a block is is pretty bad. Uh, 52% from the field, 33% from deep on low volume, of course, and 80% from the free throw line uh, with regard to the free throws. Also just want to throw in 15 and a half field goal attempts per game to two and a half free throw attempts per game. And, uh, you know, overall, when I look at this and obviously like I'll throw it to you next, just for your opinion on, again, kind of the balance sheet of all this. Um, but it just kind of feels like same old, same old for Aiton. Uh, with worse focus about and, and concentration from game to game about the little things. But we've always talked about how he can kind of sleepwalk his way into 18 and 10 stat lines. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of just feels like more of that right now on lower efficiency in a way that's not going to help you, not ultimately going to help you win these games. I I think two things uh, offensively I'll say about him is, is just one, I'm not super bothered by the way he's playing offense right now. You know, I, the turnovers, I think that it's just so much a function of your expectations of him. If you expected that he, if he was fed the ball a ton over the course of a game, that he would be this phenomenal linchpin in the offense that could move the ball, uh, create for himself and create for others, then obviously you're you're massively disappointed, I think, with the stretch for him. If you expect him to sort of do what he can do in these games where he's sort of taking the occasional mid-range shot, He's occasionally getting to the to the rim, um, either in a pick and roll, which is obviously far less than previously when Chris Paul and Devin Booker are playing, but also occasionally using the post up to get to the rim. Then I think you're probably okay with that, which is kind of where I've been with him. Is is this is all what I anticipate his offense to look like? I think the interesting thing about it is 
it's it's the efficiency's all down compared to normal. Obviously, the spacing's all off. The easy passes by people like Devin Booker and Chris Paul are gone. And I do think there is some level of people complaining about the Suns' inability to get the ball to DeAndre and when they're fully healthy. They probably got somewhat of a reality check now <laughs> of what it really is like to to struggle to get him the ball. Because if you if you're struggling, if you think a team that has Chris Paul and Devin Booker struggles to get to the ball to DeAndre, and you're probably wrong, uh, because the you know Chris Paul is one of the best ever at getting the ball to centers in pick and rolls, and and obviously Devin Booker is one of the better players in the NBA at that as well. So we're seeing that, and it is what it is. What drives me insane right now is the defense is just consistently bad with him on the floor, and he has no impact to the defense at all by the numbers, except a negative one right now. And if you just watch the games, the effort is not there. The willingness to take contact defensively is not there. The second attempts at stopping shots at the rim are not yeah. there. There's just sort of one lazy effort at, at guarding the rim, and then if they get the offensive rebound, just one swipe at the ball to allow them to score. If he's guarding on the perimeter, he's backing off of guys pretty significantly and giving them wide-open shots with fake closeouts pretty regularly. And all of this is leading to the Suns playing just god-awful defense with him on the floor. The defensive rating with him on the floor on the season, which includes a good stretch, is 115 points per 100 possessions. In the last 10 games, over 116, which would put the Suns... That's like some of the worst defense of any team in the NBA. And and what's really tough about this, I think, for me in particular, when I think about this, is that almost everybody else on the Suns is better on the season defensively when they're on the floor. He's, one of the, he's the second worst. The only player worse than him is Torrey Craig at this point. And if you look at even some of the lineup stats, like if you look at the starters with Biombo compared to the starters with DeAndre Ayton, the defense is so much better with Biombo on the floor Biombo, right now. Biombo is not at all a surprise, but Biombo is only sparingly playing minutes. He he can't even crack the rotation in a lot of games. I think the guy who's surprising is Jock Landale. Yeah. Jock Landale's stats defensively are also much better than Ayton's on the season for whatever reason. And that that is, I mean, I think you can see the effort to an extent with Jock, but I wouldn't exactly call him an energy big either. I don't know about you. Um, so that has been much more jarring when I look at that. What what I think is the most frustrating part about all of this for me is that he was really good at all of this last season. You know, it's only a season ago where this stuff is sort of missing now, right? We're just a season later and so much of the focus defensively, it's, it's just poof. It's like completely gone too. It's not even just like these minor things that could be tweaked. It's like, it's entirely, I feel like, focus and effort based. And it's weird too because it's not even it doesn't even really feel like his usage rate has gone up all that much. Like he's it's not like he's taking this massive, massive role offensively compared to last season. He was the second most field goal attempts on the on the team last season. He's taking the most now, but the overall number of attempts hasn't risen dramatically to the point where you can say, well, the offensive load is is taking away from his defense, but and it's just really tough to to think about this team. And I'll mention it again with both him and Mikael Bridges. If they continue to play like this when Devin Booker is back, the Suns will still lose. They'll still continue to lose games. So it's not just that, to me, that they're having a bad stretch. And forgive us, we have to have this kind of conversation at some point no, on this it, podcast, you know? You mentioned to me uh, as we were preparing for this episode, actually, that, you know, we've been continued, continuing to do the main feed, uh, or sorry, the, the Patreon pods. 
But our last two main feed episodes, you know, we took a week off for the holidays, which wasn't exactly planned. There were some travel issues in there. Our last two main feed pods were about Ishbia, Ishbia acquiring the team and then then resolutions for the new owners. It's been a while since we've just had this kind of frank conversation about resetting expectations. And I promise for the people who are getting tired of this, um, I think we're almost done with this half of the episode. And then we can talk about like kind of where we go from here and what's next soon, which maybe is a little bit more hopeful. But yeah, just to echo your point, Mike, like this is just what it is right now. And it's time to be honest about um, how bad things can get as we've seen in the past few weeks. I think if DeAndre is on the floor and the Suns are playing at 116 defensive rating with him on the floor and he's putting up 18 and 10, I'm just, it doesn't matter, you know, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the impact is just not there in the way that it needs to be in order for the Suns to win games. And you know how I know that? They're not winning games, <laughs> you know, like it's happening. You can kind of see it happening uh, on the floor. So I don't really know. It's tough with Aiton to say what can be done to fix it because it could be as simple as he's not happy in Phoenix right now. He doesn't want to be here and he's not putting in the effort that he put last season. It could be that he put in more of an effort before he got paid. Now he got paid and he's not putting in the same effort. You know, it could be maybe there's a minor injury with him that we're unaware of. You know, like there, it's it's just really impossible to put your finger on it. It's just that the effort appears to be there on one end of the floor and it's completely gone on the other end of the floor at this time. And that's just really difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk point guard play now? Right. Do they have any? <laughs> this yeah. we, we just watched a game where Landry Shamit well, started at point guard. They've got one. And even him though. He's he's a he's a two-way contract. <laughs> is is and, he a point guard though? And I've been skeptical to this point in the season. Uh or let me reframe that. I think I've always understood what this guy can contribute on the basketball court, and I think we're seeing it recently, and I have a stat for that in a second. Uh but yes, is I've also always been aware of his maybe his weaknesses and, and the way in which he he doesn't completely compose together the skill set that you would expect out of an NBA point guard. His name, of course, <laughs> is Dwayne Washington Jr. He's the youngest player on the team. He is on a two-way contract, which means the amount of appearances he can make in the season are limited. Uh, in the last 10 games, games, for the record, two ways are games. only allowed to play 50 games before they're no longer allowed to play without a full roster spot. Can I just read out the net ratings for for a bunch of like <laughs> yeah. critical rotation players over the last ten games? Okay, so and here's just what we're to recap with. what the net rating is, it's essentially how much you're outscoring the other team per 100 possessions while you're on the court. Yeah, it's like think or, about or if a player being outscored by. Yeah, think about if a player played every minute of roughly a, a full game, and it's on average how much the team would outscore or get outscored while that player is on the floor. So in the last 10 games, the Suns are 1-9. They have a minus 8.4 net rating. Here's some net ratings. Mm-hmm. Ish Wainwright, plus 9.4. <laughs> There's the Cra- stat. Crazy. crazy. That's the Ish Wainwright stat I wanted to yeah. mention before because actually, as a quick aside, uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about We'll do this, I guess, maybe after. Like why that is? I'm not sure there's an obvious reason for me as to yeah. why that is other than that he's just playing bench players. Do you have a Well, a, I'll just a say a quick, quick reason. I think he's just played at the right moments and doesn't play much. You know, I guess in some yeah. sense it's a credit to Monty. It's I definitely think if a you small expand his, it's thing. not scalable. You know, <laughs> you have to understand the con- the context of these 
uh, net ratings. That's just not scalable. I like Ish Wainwright, and I think he plays the right role on a, on a team, but you know, you put him in too big of a role, that's just going to sink dramatically. So he's plus 9.4. He's on a two-way. The only other rotation player who has a positive net rating uh, who has played like consistently over the past 10 games is Dwayne Washington Jr. Uh, with a plus 0.8 net rating. Let me repeat that. The only two sons who are in the positives over the past 10 games are their two-way contracts. Mm-hmm. Now, here are the starters, or at least the starters have shifted a lot, but here are some guys who have been starting games, at least on and off. Landry Shamit, minus 10.2. Mikhail Bridges, minus 11.8. DeAndre Ayton, minus 12.5. Torrey Craig, minus 15. CP3, minus 15.4. And last mm-hmm. but not least, well, actually <laughs> he is least, is Dario Saric. Uh, Dario Saric, minus 18.7. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Dario... It was a good run. <laughs> the net rating has finally caught up to him. I do I, think it would be nice to filter out some garbage time minutes in here. There both is some for garbage. the positive minutes that Landry Shamit puts in in garbage time and the negative minutes that Dario Saric puts in, in But garbage let me just time. say, no, but let me just say, Dario Saric, he's also been starting some games recently. And as we've seen, that starting lineup gets its ass kicked consistently. If you're Dario Saric, I enjoyed watching you for two seasons on the Suns. Mm-hmm. We saw you as a power forward. We saw you as a center. At one time on this podcast, it was you and me, you and I, who mm-hmm. started the narrative for Dario Saric to be sixth man of the year in the final mm-hmm. season. Of mm-hmm. course, it didn't last. But we started that narrative. Yep. It's been a lot of fun. You had a great run. It's over. It's buddy. Jover. I'm, I'm sorry. It's Jover. I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been watching Dario Saric, not to pick on any one player, but yes, I, I, I do feel the need a little bit to pick on him it's here. It's Jover. Yeah. It's over. You're, you know, well, like the, you had a good run. You're, you're really <laughs> focusing on him, but the other one that I think stands out to me, and I think something we have to talk about is Chris Paul. Yeah, for sure that too. Because it's, 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 uh, Chris Paul staring. The thing about Chris Paul at this point of his career is he can't do it on his own. And he's such a, like, ceiling razor like if you if you surround him by great players he'll do a great job but if you surround him by bad players he's going to be terrible but also just the way he moves is not quite right the sh- even the shooting form looks weird sometimes his three-point percentages have been going in but he's just not there and yeah i think this is you're staring down the barrel of trying to solve a chris paul problem you can you can lie to yourself if you're james jones or the Suns and say we don't have to do that right now. We'll see what he does in the playoffs if he can get healthy. Sure. I think that's a fair thing to give him one last chance. But it's going to be a problem pretty soon. And they're going to have to figure it out pretty soon. Because right now, the the point guard play, you talked about it. It's really important in the NBA. And uh, Chris Paul's just not great right now. And, and you know, I think he will be better when the Suns are healthy. But uh, I don't know. About it's that. still going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, he I might not. Actually, that's a great I point. And you know who knows if he I can mean, even stay healthy. You know, I, I, I have lost a lot of faith in Chris this season. Um, it just it just is what it is. Um, I'm going to throw out, just to end this part of the episode, I guess, on a positive note, just one more shout-out to Dwayne Washington Jr. Again, mentioned the net rating there. He had a great game last night. Uh, unfortunately caught a bad stretch there in the fourth quarter where he was on the court and, uh, and, and the Suns just completely blew that game. But um, <laughs> You know what's funny about Dwayne? Uh, credit to him for playing well and doing his best, but like the way the Suns have to run their offense when Dwayne Washington Jr. is on the floor is so funny because because he can't really pass, right? He actually has the worst assist-to-turnover ratio, I think, on the team 
during the last 10 games. Uh, actually, no, sorry. Chris Paul's is worse, which is funny. Are you serious? Wow. Uh, I think so. But with Dwayne, they treat him in the offense like he's Steph Curry, who just hit five threes in a row. Mm-hmm. And you know how when Steph Curry's on a heater, like the entire Warriors offense just revolves around getting him open. That's how the Suns run their offense when Dwayne Washington is on the floor at all times because that's just what he's going to do. You know, he he's he, he's not really going to do much else. You kind of have to run the offense around him. And I don't think this is a bad thing. I think you just you're doing what you have to do. If you're exactly. Monty Williams, if you're the rest of the Suns, you're doing what you have to do. You can't create offense any other way, so you're going to try to maximize what Dwayne Washington Jr. is on the floor. But it is just hilarious to watch happen. There were there it's was reminiscent. A, there was this, a, a play in the last game where the Suns literally set three screens for Dwayne Washington Jr. that looked like that one slow motion play from the Warriors' first title, <laughs> where Steph was sprinting around three screens. At the top of the key, except it was for Dwayne Washington Jr. in a random game in January against the Cavaliers. It was just hilarious. It is reminiscent of 40-year-old Jamal Crawford playing for the Suns in a way. Yeah. Just in in the sense that, like, is any of this production scalable on a good team where he's surrounded by better pieces? I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I believe it is. But yeah. in the meantime, when you have literally no one else who can dribble... You've got this one guy, and you just need to let him pound the air out of the ball, and that's maybe the only way you're going to win one or two games in the next stretch. Yeah, it is what it is. It's what they have to do. The thing that this brings up, and, you know, like there's some there's some question of how good the Suns are going to be once they get healthy, but the other question in the back of my mind is will they ever be healthy this season? <laughs> because who knows? Um, you know, just as they were playing now with all these guys being thrust into these roles that are bigger than they're normally supposed to be, they're getting hurt. Aiton, Craig, Landry, all questionable. Chris Paul's out. Cameron Payne's out. Multiple weeks. Devin Booker is out. Cameron Johnson trying to get back up to the shape he needs to be in to play. That's a lot of guys who you have to count on to be healthy. But if they if they play to the 21 and 28 record or whatever I, I calculated for what it could be when Devin Booker comes back. That puts them at the sixth worst record by win percentage in the NBA. Or as some other people put it, the sixth best odds for the number one overall pick. And I think this is, I think, the sort of existential question that comes with the Suns this season is what do they do if they continue to drop games like this? Because there are two real options. And this is something we talked about on our Patreon pod, and I thought it was important for us to talk about here, Sam. Do they build for right now? Or do they build for next year or the future? And so much of that revolves around what they do for this this pick, this one pick that they're now staring at. Because the Suns were not supposed to have a high pick this year. They were supposed to have a pick in the 20s, the high 20s, based on a lot of projections. And now that pick could be a top 10 pick in the draft, um, you know, depending on how they play after Devin Booker is back. And what are your first thoughts when thinking about that? Yeah, well, I'll start here. Um, and, and this is something that we definitely mentioned on the Patreon pod. But just to repeat myself, the concept now of trading this year's pick for anything that isn't a surefire all-star, this year's pick unprotected, that is. 
um, is a total non-starter to me because you're talking about something that could you're talking about a a pick that could land you Victor Wembanyama or Scoot. Uh, quite frankly, like that's where we're at now. That's exactly what you're talking about. What are the sixth best lottery odds? I have to look it up right now. The sixth best lottery odds. That's really what we're t- talking about in a situation. Yeah, potentially. Where, that's where they could be when Devin I mean, Booker's they, back. I still feel like that's you know more or less a worst case scenario. But here it is, Washington right now. They have the sixth best odds uh, in 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 the lottery. They're seventeen and twenty three. That's not that far from where we are, and that gives them a thirty five percent chance at a top four pick and eight point three percent chance at the number one pick. Those are not insignificant odds, and and it's something that you really truly have to take into account versus the types of conversations that we were having a month ago about let's go get a, a, a Kyle Kuzma, let's go get a John Collins, let's go get a, a Boyan uh, Bogdanovich. Um, none of that makes any sense anymore, to be honest. I would have, uh, I would have, in a, a month ago, I would have in a heartbeat traded the Suns' first pick, first pick this coming draft for Kyle Kuzma. Right now? Can you justify that? I mean, no. what will the Suns even be with Kyle Kuzma on this team? It's possible they can't. get healthy. It's possible they start playing well. But I mentioned again, I, I just, you know, unless Mikhail Bridges starts looking better and DeAndre and starts playing defense, I don't have a lot of faith that even with Kyle Kuzma that this team is going to make noise in the playoffs. I need to I need to see them play well first. Otherwise, this is who they are right now. Uh, you know, you just you can't just say they're gonna all of a sudden start playing like they did last season. We're forty, we're over forty games into the season at this point, and like the defense, for example, with DeAndre, and that's been bad since the first game. It's not just since Devin Booker went out; that's been bad since the first game. You know, I don't really know what they need to do to fix that, but like as far as just the pick, there is some in some ways. It's like the fan base. It kind of reminds me of the way the fan base started to divide when the Suns were tanking and they started to get the first-round pick and then there was this Luka camp and there was this DeAndre in camp and then there was this war that happened between Suns fans. But now it's almost as if the fan base is sort of splitting between Team Tank <laughs> and Team Don't Tank and 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 make minor moves. And I'm, I'll be honest, I, I'm like straddling the middle of that right now I want to see what they do before Devin Booker's back. I want to see when Devin Booker gets back before I even decide where I'm at on that. But I'm not fully on either side. That means that well, I might be okay tanking for the rest of the season at some point. I also don't want to misrepresent what one side is saying here because when you say team tank, what exactly does that mean? To me, when I think about that right now, the concept of Devin Booker coming back in a month and being able to shut him down in the way that, say, OKC shut down Shea last year and truly commit to a tank, it's just not going to happen. Like, it's not a realistic idea. So if that's what Team Tank is all about, um, I, I think it's impossible. But we might suck, like, regardless of all that. You might that. not need to tank, yeah. We might, that's a we good might, point. <laughs> it's a, for me, like, in, in considering what this is right now, it's not about tanking all the way to get, like, a top three or four pick guaranteed. But it's a soft tank. They might just be this bad. And if they're just this bad with or without Devin Booker, then they need a reset. They just do. Well, maybe, Either you, in the form, maybe you think about trading Jay Crowder for picks. Like maybe absolutely. you become the seller instead of the buyer. In absolutely. This and let's deadline. let's talk about that. All season long, we've bitched about how it's so much better to be a seller and a than a than a buyer, which sucked. 
when we thought that the Suns were buyers, why not join the other side? And now instead of the concept of trading Jay Crowder, trading up for something, trading for a Kyle Kuzma, trading for, again, a John Collins, trading for a Julius Randle, well, now you can join that team of sellers and see if you can swindle maybe even an unprotected first-round pick out of one of these contenders. And in a vacuum, what's the value of that pick, especially to James Jones? I don't know. (laughs) But I I don't know. But this summer, could that pick then become part of a greater package? Could that pick Yeah, all of a sudden the Suns have... Right. All of a sudden the Suns could have the fifth pick, for example, in the draft, plus an extra first-round pick that they just got from another team for Jay Crowder, plus DeAndre and or Mikhail Bridges or I guess Cameron Johnson in a sign-in trade or maybe Chris Paul's salary at that point and you're trying to make a move for another player now you have extra picks potentially that you could use to try to get that player in the offseason when you're thinking more long term you're thinking more about the future and less about this season now it's not to say that like and this is just this is not us advocating I think for either side at this point I just think that this if you're James Jones and I don't know if James Jones thinks like this if I'm being honest but if you're James Jones this is what you should be thinking about you should be understanding all of the avenues to improve for the future because what is the worst case scenario the worst case scenario for the Suns right now is that they're like the 10th seed which makes them in the lottery but then they win the play-in tournament now they're out of the lottery and they get knocked out in the first round now they get knocked out in the first round and they have like the 16th pick or something, you know? That's kind yeah. of the worst case scenario uh, for the Suns. Or or maybe they trade for Kyle Kuzma. They get knocked out in the first round anyway and then Kyle Kuzma leaves an unrestricted free agency because the Suns underperformed in the playoffs. You know, that there is chances, every single thing that the Suns could potentially do right now carries a risk. It's just a question of which risk do you want to take the other option? I think the the other one that is a big option that is going to be discussed a lot is if you're potentially uh, thinking about the idea of essentially punting on this season, then maybe you try to if if all of a sudden Pascal Siakam becomes available at this trade deadline. In some sense, that is sort of a punt on this season, except you're punting on the season and adding an all NBA player to Devin Booker uh, for next season which is a different thing. And that could mean that you're sacrificing quote-unquote depth. You're giving up on players like DeAndre Ayton to trade for Pascal Siakam. Yes, that is true, that that is something that would be happening. But if you could bring a star player like Pascal Siakam, yet maybe you don't win a championship this year, but maybe you could retool in the offseason. Now you're building around two players where you understand their skill sets. You saw them work together at the end of this season, maybe even make the playoffs if they end up doing that and then you can retool around them and figure it out from there. If I had to choose an option, that's probably the one, but that seems like the least available one because that would require a team to trade an all NBA player for, for picks and Deandre. Ayton, and I think that seems pretty unlikely at this point. Yeah. I, I do have a feeling that Toronto, you know, some interesting articles are coming out about them right now. And I do think they're tr- trending towards this direction. They're going to retool or reset pretty soon. I don't think they make a decision as big as the one on Siakam midseason. I just don't. I think they're going to play their cards through the offseason and and reevaluate from there. Now maybe you could have conversations with them about other smaller pieces, but but yeah, I don't I'd be surprised if the Siakam trade came in the next month. That being said, Siakam 
keep your eye on the prize here. It's about getting the second star in a championship team. Siakam could be that guy. So yeah, if we're talking about Siakam, obviously I'll put an unprotected pick from this year on the table and, and loads of other picks and assets. Um, but Kyle Kuzma is not that guy, which is kind of where I draw the line. Also, earlier you said that we're not necessarily advocating for either side here. And I guess I would kind of agree. Uh, but you know, I am trying to use some objective benchmarks or barometers as we go about this yeah by the end of this month if we're 500 miraculously if we've won some games go for a playoff run yeah right if we're five or six games under 500 like you kind of expect us to be um you know just give in that's it's kind of like you know I'm, I'm we're biding our time waiting more towards uh towards uh trade season to where it can really heat up but we're we're gonna have to choose one path or the other eventually but like almost especially if Chris Paul doesn't look right, <laughs> you know, because if you if you are envisioning this sort of dream scenario where the West is kind of not great right now, and that is true, where, you know, it's kind of still wide open, quote unquote. If you have this dream scenario where the Suns put it back all together, Devin Booker comes back, continues to play at the level he was playing at, but also stays healthy, which is another question with Devin Booker at this point. There is reasons to believe that we're unsure if he can continue to stay healthy with that level or that huge of a load on his shoulders. Uh, then you're also envisioning a scenario where Chris Paul stays healthy through a playoff run. And I don't know, like that's, and he even plays better than he's playing right now. I just don't know if that's something that you can really count on um, for the rest of the season. You know, the whole idea, the whole concept of Chris Paul when he was first traded, probably the very first podcast that we talked about when Chris Paul was traded to the Suns, we talked about the idea of, oh, cool, the Suns have a second star. Yes, he's old, but now as he ages, as he get, it gets worse in his old age, well, now Mikel Bridges, now DeAndre Ayton, they can be that second star. And if you're still confident in those two guys being a second star on a contender, you're wrong. <laughs> You're just wrong. I don't think you've I'm ever sorry. said it that that straight up before. <laughs> you know, I don't think that they can. I, I I think we have a pretty significant amount of evidence that that's the case, and that means that you have to really think about the real long term future of this team. If Chris Paul is not going to be that star in this particular postseason, because and look, by the way, I I think I'll start this part of the podcast by saying. I think James Jones has done an incredible job as the general manager of the Suns. Now, I know a lot of you are so frustrated with him right now, you might even be rolling your eyes, but let me just remind you, he hired Monty Williams and the entire culture of the Suns changed under James Jones's watch. But he has done nothing since this offseason and currently, but... The Not one just thing he's this offseason, arguably for 18 months. Well, I mean, it was a good team at least. But the one thing he did do in the offseason was let Jay Crowder not be a part of this team without trading him, which is just an absolute disaster. James Jones has and had, I should say, the opportunity to trade him to salvage whatever happened in this scenario. But what is going on right now? with Jay Crowder and a team that is just riddled with injuries. They have two, essentially, two spots on this team. One empty and open roster spot, which they have not used, 
And one other roster spot that is currently being filled by Jay Crowder, where James Jones had that conversation with him and allowed him to stay home and not play. And now we have a team full of injuries, unable to stay healthy, where James Jones is sacrificing two of those roster spots for nothing, zero right now. And that, to me, it could not be more of a disastrous decision by him right now. Now, can it be salvaged? Sure. But like, can it be salvaged once the Suns are seven or eight games under 500? I I don't know that that's a good scenario. Like, it is a complete disaster that blew up in his face right now. And I don't think you can really judge it any other way. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I've been frustrated with James, I think, more so than you and more so than a lot of people throughout the past couple seasons. Um, In a way, it's a blessing in disguise, I think, as we talk about the ways that it can be salvaged, right? Because if if we're finally going to kick the can and, and, and give it all up and approach this new direction and become sellers, maybe we should be happy that James Jones's indecision led to this point of of like yeah. do you do you understand what i mean no poor, absolutely like right? you still roster. have jay crowder right you could sell him instead of trying to buy with his contract you gave it an honest chance at trying to display some combination of deandre and mikhail bridges as as a number two number three on the roster number one number two when other guys are hurt and you've shown everyone with evidence that it doesn't work and now you can turn the page and open a new chapter and and maybe in a way the the fact that you still have all these pieces and you can get assets for them now in becoming sellers is preferable versus if you had traded Jay Crowder for Eric Gordon in the offseason, a move that obviously wouldn't have been enough. It We just know, perhaps with hindsight, but I think even we strongly suspected at the time, just wouldn't have been enough to push that team over the edge either. No, um, I, I, think you, I think you're right about maybe not pushing them over the edge to win a championship. But yes, in some ways, the reason we're so willing to potentially become a seller right now is because he didn't trade Jay Crowder for someone of value. If Boyan was on this team right now, maybe they'd be well over 500 and we could have a conversation about what it would look like then. And then maybe you hold on to the team. But yeah, but I get what you're saying. Blessing in disguise, potentially. At the end of the day, you know, I'm just I sound like a broken record, but James just needs to choose a direction. And, you know, there have been times throughout his tenure with the Suns where it seems like, based on his draft record, for instance, that he's really, really, really not interested in the concept of a rebuild. Uh, So he needs to choose direction now and fast. And if he's not interested in being that guy who beefs up the scouting department and really, you know, resets the team with a sort of youth infusion, uh, then, yeah, we need to have really serious conversations about bringing in a guy who's actually interested in doing that job. But in the meantime, what James can do to kind of salvage his reputation a little bit um, is just commit to something, just commit to a path. Yeah, but the thing is, you don't necessarily have to raise the value of the pick just to pick a player. You know, you could trade the pick after the lottery once the Suns know, right? If the Suns get the number one or the number two pick in this draft, easy decision. Draft one of those two guys and then you still have a bunch of good players on the Suns. You could even trade some of them still if you want to retool around Devin Booker, but now you have a star player in Scoot or an alien in Wemby that you could put next to Devin Booker where you're pretty confident about the long-term future of this team, uh, assuming that works out. 
But if it's outside of that, if it's the sixth pick or if it's the fifth pick or something, or even the 10th pick, now all of a sudden you have a pretty high pick that you can use to try to trade for, say, Siakam, if he becomes available in the summer, for example. So it's not necessarily just about trying to draft youth. It's also about maximizing the assets that you do have to make the best decision with those assets that you can at this time. And, you know, there is some small chance that he already has a trade lined up that includes Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton that can't be done until January 15th. You know, there is a chance of that. Yeah, and that's that, that's why any great criticism of James Jones needs to wait until after the deadline. Yeah. Trust me, I'm going to be very dramatic uh, the day <laughs> after the deadline, no matter what happens. Either I'm going to be jumping for joy or I'm going to be calling for someone to be fired and it's going to be um, a spectacle for all to behold, but I at least am willing to give the guy until the trade deadline before I cast any judgment. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, this podcast is always, it's usually we have fun and I'm not saying that this isn't fun, this conversation. I mean, it's not really <laughs> if I'm being, uh, Frank about it, but I do think that this is the type of conversation, you know, the one we're having right now that you have to have if you're being, fully honest about the situation that the Suns are in. I think in some ways people have undersold just how bad it can get because there is an assumption that, well, once Devin Booker is back, it's going to be fine. And maybe it will be. And maybe it will be. But maybe wonder why Devin Booker was hurt in the first place. Maybe it's because of the amount that is on his shoulders with this team right now. He had to score 58 just to come back against the the Pelicans to win and, you know, played the entire second half and hasn't really played a game since then. You know, a better team could give him more chances to rest. A better team could give him more of an opportunity to play less minutes in a game. And, you know, the idea of saying, well, now they're all back. Let's put it all back on Devin Booker's shoulders again. It's just not that exciting of an idea for me. I think it's actually in some ways a betrayal of Devin Booker to not do more for him either this season or decide if you want to do it next year. Now, if they start playing better, Cameron Payne comes back two weeks from now or whatever. Cameron Johnson comes back. They start winning games and maybe there are a few games over 500. We can revisit this conversation and talk about what the options are at that point. If they continue to lose, they have to look themselves in the mirror and have this exact honest conversation that we're having with themselves. And that means James Jones. That means Monty Williams. And that means, I guess, Matt Ishbia. Matt Ishbia. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in the conversation too, even if he hasn't taken over yet. Once he takes over, if they continue to lose, we can just really go at him. Like, really, don't hold back. <laughs> Talk about his record as a Suns owner. If it's really bad, we'll just bring it up a lot. Uh, you know, because ever since he was announced as the owner of the team, the Suns have really started losing. Yeah. Must be his fault. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> you got anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I think that's it. Look, folks, we're straddling in here for another hard week. Who, who do we play next? I think we play Denver and... And then the Warriors Gold. and Steph and Curry will be back. Yeah, it's Golden State, Denver... <laughs> Yeah, Minnesota and Memphis this week all on the road. Good luck. Let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah. One win against I mean, if you had to choose the Suns beat one of those teams, who would you choose? Obviously Minnesota. Really? I think I might yeah. choose Denver. I mean, you mean if I can choose which one I want? Yeah. Or which one I think will happen? Oh, which, which one, one do I you want? want? Denver most satisfying by far. I because love the fans would just be Denver so, fans. yeah, they would yeah. just be so devastated 100%. by that loss. It would be funny. 
Um, so we'll root for that one. But yeah, uh, I would love to hear uh, from you guys and hear what you think. Like I said, I'm not really firmly on either side of this. I'm just more than anything just disappointed with this team and disappointed with the injuries. But I would love to hear what you guys think. So feel free to reach out to us either on Twitter, if you're on our Patreon, um, you know, on our Discord. If you'd like to join our Patreon, you can. And we have a Discord specifically for Suns fans where we have conversations like this, honestly, pretty much every day. <laughs> so you can feel free to join and have those existential crises every single day, uh, just like we have been. Uh, but other than that, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back with a Patreon podcast later this week.